0: Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. Thank you for joining us. My name is Nate Huss and I am stoked you are tuning in to our teaching of the week. If you are new, so glad you found us. If you haven't already and would like to learn a little bit more about us, jump over to restorationaz.org. And um, all right, let's grab our Bibles and dive into this week's teaching. If you have a uh, Bible, go ahead and
1: chapter four. If you're new with us, my name is Landon, and I get the privilege of being one of the team members here who won't be getting the party started, but we'll be teaching, so you can interpret that however you want. Have you ever uh, received advice or guidance or counsel from somebody who both cared about you, but also was somebody with wisdom? That's like a great benefit if you have people that are really wise and they care about you. People that are wise and don't care about you aren't super helpful. They might be harmful. (laughs) Or people that care about you and aren't wise, that's a different problem. But if you can get they care about you and they're wise and they're willing to spend time with you and give you counsel, it's really good. Like that's a, a great gift. Unless they give you this caring, wise counsel and you choose to not listen there's often a price to pay for that. Typically not from that person because they care about you and they're wise. But if they care about you and they're wise and you don't listen, it probably means you did something dumb. And I've done that a time or two. I try to limit the dumb mistakes I make and learn from them. But there's one mentor in, uh, in particular that I've spent a good amount of time with. There's like two or three moments in, in my life, and even specifically in the, the journey of this, this thing we call Restoration Church, this family that we are, where Luke would tell me something really wise and caring, and I'd be like, that sounds great, Luke, you're smart. And then I'd be like, but I think I have a better idea. I wouldn't say that, I would just do it. And then I'd come back to Luke later, and I'd be like, well, you were right. And he'd say, I know. And I've gotten better at listening to him. There's usually a price, though, that you pay when you choose to not listen to the caring, wise words of somebody in your life that, again, is both caring and wise. Or maybe slightly different. Have you recognized the the difference between hearing and actually listening? I remember as a kid, I think I've, I've shared this, I'd be sitting on the couch watching something and my loving, kind mother, who's a fabulous cook amongst many other things, would just so graciously like present this menu of options to her spoiled little boy and say, hey, do you want this or that, whatever it was? And I'd be like, yeah. And she'd look at me so angry that I heard her and didn't listen. And I just said, yeah, to a a question that required a little bit more than that. Now my son does the same thing to me. And I'm like, "Ah, I think it's boys worse. But there's a difference between hearing and listening. And I think oftentimes Jesus meets us in the most loving, powerful way. And he speaks. God speaks to us. And oftentimes we hear and we do not listen. Oftentimes the most caring person in the world who happens to also be the most wise comes to speak out of his caring, loving nature and full wisdom and we hear him and we don't listen and we choose not to take Jesus seriously for the things that Jesus says. The, the greatest act of love in in all of human history is without a doubt God himself taking on human nature to walk on earth as a man and to end that time on a cross intentionally for our sake to take this disease called sin in this world that leads to everything horrendous, all kinds of violence and racism and injustices and oppression and abuse and, and even less specific or intentional things, just disease and cancers and sickness and and death in this world. And Jesus took all of that upon himself on this cross, and he died intentionally. And then he rose. This is the ultimate picture, the ultimate moment of both sacrifice and victory. And we sing songs about that, and we praise Jesus rightfully so for those things. And those were kind of like, if you will the first two steps in this most beautiful moment of love, but there's a third that we often forget about. After this great act of love, of sacrifice and victory, there's this great act of love through generosity where Jesus does what next? After he appears, he gives the spirit, and that's what completes this most beautiful act of love. But it's something we often neglect, I think, in a similar way to how we often neglect the Spirit in Father, Son, and Spirit. The very first thing Jesus does, the most important thing he does after he displays himself to let people know that, hey, I lovingly died for you and I lovingly rose for you, is to give the Spirit and to speak of the importance of the Spirit. We can maybe think about it this way. The death of Jesus removed the barriers to the presence of God. The resurrection of Jesus provided victory over enemies of the presence of God. And the gift of the Spirit provides constant access to the presence of God. We've talked recently, it just kind of keeps coming up of this unbelievable, beautiful, both symbolism and and kind of realism of the curtain and the innermost place of the temple, the holy of holies that housed the presence of God being torn in two, ripped apart when Jesus died. And that in that moment, the the spirit of God, the presence of God was no longer contained, which didn't mean that people couldn't just like come to God's presence to go there to meet with the presence. Like it was available, no gates, no barriers, no tickets needed. It actually was deeper than that. It was that now the spirit would go out into the world. God wouldn't demand we go to him. He would go out to us. And the the huge, significant difference between just Jesus and his incarnation as a man walking with two feet like we do and having two hands and eating meals next to people like we do, doing things like we do, is that he was just one man in one place at a time in that incarnational role, but with the spirit full access to anybody at any time is what makes Jesus trustworthy always, no matter the moment no matter where you are at or I am at or the people to your left or right are at, different places, different times, good moments, bad moments, Jesus has given his spirit to all of us, offered his spirit to all of us in each of those moments. If you study the scriptures, this is a little bit harsh, but it's real, you would have to be really intentionally ignorant to miss out on how imperative life with the spirit is to following Jesus. Those things go hand in hand. He didn't die and rise from the grave, and that was it. He did those things, and then his next great act of love was generously giving to us his spirit. Yet, I think there's this elusiveness, this mystery, this fear of the unknown, maybe, that causes us to either reject this relationship and, and walking with the Spirit, or maybe in the unknown, to just kind of ignore it and to, again, not take Jesus seriously for what he said. Throughout this, this series, we're looking at kind of studying specific ways or, or kind of concepts of what it means to actually be loved by Jesus, to dive deeper into that concept, and then what it actually means to love like Jesus. So we've talked about that it means when we are loved by Jesus, we are fully seen and known. So we should also seek to see and know others and love them as, as they are, to meet them where they're at, in conflict and agreement and disagreement, to have the hard conversations, but to see and know people as children of God. We've talked about how to be loved by Jesus means that Jesus meets us in interruptions of all kinds. Sometimes he interrupts us because that's the most loving thing he can do. Sometimes there's a really hard interruption in life and he meets us there and brings good out of it. And to love like Jesus means that when we are interrupted by another, we should actually be open to that interruption and pouring out grace and mercy and peace as he's done for us. I've talked about how to be loved by Jesus means that there's going to be times that Jesus cleanses removes the religious distortions in our lives from us, like he cleansed the temple. And that there's then going to be times that to love like Jesus, and we have to be unbelievably cautious with this, with great humility, that we might play a role in partnering with God and helping them to see religious distortions in their lives as well. Today is going to be about the Spirit. Uh, To be loved by Jesus Means you are given the Spirit. To love like Jesus starts with listening to the Spirit. We'll look at it from uh, the perspective of the, the Gospel of John. I want to start in John chapter 4, verse 1. We read this When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, I hadn't mentioned this last time I almost said, though, how beautiful is that? Did you know Jesus was worn out at times, and yet he was still faithful? So when we're worn out, we can go to Jesus and know that he gets it, and that he's trustworthy in worn out moments. Worn out, he sits down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In this moment, what Jesus is doing is tearing down barriers and expectations. If you follow Jesus for very long, you're going to find out this is something he fairly commonly does. He rips apart, tears down in the best of ways, barriers and expectations. It was very unexpected for Jesus to speak to a woman at all. That was not the cultural norm. It was very unexpected for Jesus to speak to a Samaritan. They didn't like each other. It was way more unexpected for Jesus to speak to a Samaritan woman. And yet there he is, crossing boundaries, tearing down bridges and expectations. Right before this, he does the same thing, actually, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Just one chapter before, he tears down a different kind, a different set of barriers and expectations. Might be worth reading throughout the week. But let's continue in, in verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who, key in on that word for later, is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water. So I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband he told her and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had 5 husbands and the man you now have is not your husband, but you have so what you have said is true. Sir the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Next what is going to happen is Jesus is going to remove more Expectations. He's going to tear down more barriers as she reveals what she expects in terms of what it looks like to worship and know God. "'Sir,' the woman replied, "'I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem.' Jesus told her, "'Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Can you imagine being Jesus right there? When he he comes, he'll explain all that we need to know. Don't you worry, man here that doesn't have any water at the well. One day someone that's actually worthy will come, and he'll explain all this nonsense to us that we don't understand. To which Jesus says, I am he, the one speaking to you. Think about this for just a second. Here's this woman having this conversation with a man, which is crazy in and of itself, let alone she's a Samaritan woman having a conversation with a a Jewish man. Barriers are being torn down. He's saying, The way that you expect to know and worship God is incorrect. You're looking in the wrong place. She's having a conversation with God Himself. They're at this well in the midst of the everyday stuff of her life. This is where she goes. This is the thing she does. These are her her groceries, her vocation, her job. This is the norm. And here's God himself meeting with her in the everyday stuff, mundane life. And if he doesn't bluntly, explicitly reveal who he is, we can assume, speculate, there's a really good chance She would have had a conversation with God himself. She would have heard the voice of God, and she wouldn't have listened. In fact, she wouldn't have even recognized that it was God's voice. Because she was expecting to hear from God in the wrong ways. Maybe we can think about it this way. Worshiping God Is not merely or mostly about what you know about God or where you worship. And we have a tendency to often focus on those two things. And when we get too hyper-focused on those two things, we just might, like the Samaritan woman, hear from the voice of God and not listen, either out of ignorance or just rejecting his voice. Is it possible that like this Samaritan woman, that's where we're at, that you could be looking for God, you could be expecting him, maybe you're even seeking him out, but in the wrong ways. And so hearing his voice speak to you throughout your version of the day-to-day stuff of life, where you shop, where you plan, where you play, where you worry, where you work, The voice of God is actually there speaking to you and you hear it, but maybe you don't recognize it or listen to it. Is it possible that we as Christians, we as people in this church we call Restoration Church, take the truth part of worshiping and knowing God so seriously that we miss out on the spirit and truth part that Jesus himself has declared is good. Let's look at what Jesus continues to say on this topic. We're gonna to turn to John chapter 16. I'll read beginning in verse five. Jesus speaking to his disciples, those following him most closely says this, but now I am going away to him who sent me and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet yeah, because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. I'm going to read that again. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. And the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. That is a really crucial part. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Another one of my friends and mentors has a book called Better Off Without Jesus. That's what Jesus is declaring here, that we, that his disciples, are better off without Jesus. The context is clearly so that we can be given the Spirit in this way. This constant access to the presence of God, that's why the curtain was torn, that's why Jesus gave up his life, that was not the end, nor was the resurrection the end, but presence fully with the Spirit was this beautiful next step. So do we take Jesus seriously when he speaks and says we are better off without him, or do we hear and not listen? Being loved by Jesus means you were given the Spirit. Loving like Jesus starts with listening to the Spirit. Uh, We're going to turn to Galatians now. It's one of the most prominent, popular passages on the Spirit and specifically the the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's also one that actually can really lead us astray in our understanding of the Spirit. So we're going to read it beginning in in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. We think those are the more powerful ones. I think these are the more powerful ones though. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, that's an interesting combo. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, Gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Notice this that list is not a to do list, it's simply a test. Is the Spirit actively working in your life, this imagery of producing fruit, or not? What Paul is saying is not, go be these things. He's just saying, do you see the work and life of the Spirit in your life, or do you not? It's like if your car won't start and you get the battery tested. Is it working or not? It's not make it better. What we should not hear, and I think what we oftentimes hear, especially in our uh, American cultural Christianity, self-help book, enthused kind of gospel understanding, is go be more loving. Or maybe you're kind of a boring person. Go be more joyful. That's what you need to do. Or maybe it just seems like, life is filled with anxiety and so you read this and you go like oh my gosh i'm getting anxious thinking about how much peace i don't have and you want to go figure out how to get more peace maybe you're not very kind so you should practice kindness or you're not good and you need goodness or you're not very faithful so you go let me let me get more faith or gentleness or self-control. I'm going to say it again. This is not a to-do list. In fact, the worst thing you could possibly do is to read this list and go, I'm going to go pick up one of those books on how to be more gentle. I'm going to go pick up one of those books on how to be more faithful or kind or how to get peace. That'd be the worst possible next step you could take because that's not Paul's intent. That's just not how it works. Why? Because that makes it about us and our power, and our faithfulness, and our goodness. And this book has never been about us, other than as the object of God's love. I think we often overcomplicate life with the Spirit. When Jesus loves us by giving us his Spirit, he gives us the voice of a person, not the actions of some mysterious thing. I love how Mark Sayers writes about this. He says this, The life of the Spirit, or the life the Spirit gives, is not an abstract package of blessing. It is his own life that he shares with us, the life of fellowship with the Father and the Son. Thus the Spirit is not like some divine milkman, leaving the gift of life on our doorsteps only to move on. And giving us life, he comes in to be with us and remain with us. Having once given life, then, he does not move on. He stays to make that life blossom and grow. We are given a person, and that person has a voice. So we must get used to hearing his voice, to recognizing his voice. One of the the most common questions I, I get pretty frequently is, how do I know whether or not God is speaking to me? How do I know if this idea, this concept, this desire, whatever it is, is from God or isn't from God or specifically is from someone else? This is why it's so important to be able to recognize the voice of the person that is the Spirit speaking to us that Jesus died and rose to so generously give to us because there's a lot of ways to get this wrong and it happens frequently. We can think We are hearing the Spirit of God when, in fact, all we're hearing is our own emotions or feelings or desires or ambitions, even fears. We could think we're hearing the voice of the Spirit of God when, in fact, we're just hearing the voice of somebody else, some other person. Or it's also very possible to think that we're hearing the Spirit of God speak to us when in fact what we're hearing is a really effective impersonator of the voice of the Spirit of God, which Satan loves to be and is quite good at. When Satan speaks to you, he doesn't sound obviously like Satan. He doesn't like knock on the door and go, hey, It's me, Satan. I'm going to tell you something totally different than what God wants you to do. So just ignore him, though he loves you and is like really wise and caring, and listen to me. That makes sense. He comes in, and he starts to whisper, and he makes his voice sound like the scriptures and like something God might just say, just a little distortion and a little tweak so that it can sound kind of like God, but it's actually going to take you in a totally different direction. Satan's the greatest impersonator of the voice of the Spirit of God. So, there's a a few things, though, that I think are are helpful we can do to put into practice recognizing the Spirit of God. The first good news is this it's not a new voice. The Spirit of God was not born. When Jesus died and that curtain was torn, the Spirit of God was a part of the whole history of these Scriptures. And so it shouldn't be an unfamiliar voice if you've read the Scriptures. And if you've not, that's okay too. We can get to know this voice by reading the Scriptures. The other really good news is that God's character has never and will never change. So if the voice is not this perfect balance of... The ridiculous grace and generosity of Yahweh, of his mercy, of his forgiveness, of his faithfulness, of his anger at injustice, then it's not his voice. If it sounds like a new iteration of who God is, like, oh, wow, God's really developing. Glad to see he's coming along. He's doing some new things. It's probably a red flag that it's not God because he doesn't change. Read this cover to cover. He might approach unique situations differently, but his character is always consistent. So the more you get to know him, the more you'll understand what is and is not his voice. Look to the the person to your left, whether you know them or not, make it awkward, just do it. Okay. Maybe you know that person, maybe not. If you don't and that was awkward, you should introduce yourself after. It's a great way to get to know people. Do you know their voice? Do you know the the tone in which they normally speak? Is it high-pitched? Is it low? Is it fast-paced? Is it slow? Is it excited? Is it not? Do you know how they tell jokes? If they tell jokes, are they good or bad or just like dad jokes all the time? It's a lot of yeses. Would you know if they were speaking to you that something was off, something wasn't right, something was normal, they were speaking differently? The answers are going to vary. Some of you knew the people to your left and you knew their voice. Some of you did not know the person to your left or that person, which is the spirit. Is the spirit one of the voices you know and would recognize? Or is the spirit a voice you don't know? could be the spirit it could not be if not i encourage you to read this book to get to know him better to understand his character so you can learn to recognize his voice because if we want to take jesus seriously he said we're better off without him because of this counselor who is wise and cares so he's i think worthy of getting to know and recognize his voice Beyond just the familiarity of his voice, whether you know it now or not, there's ways to know it. The the next kind of maybe helpful tool or practice would be to put anything you hear from the Spirit of God to test with the community of believers around you. And there's some criteria for that, though. You can get anybody you want to say anything you want. Let me rephrase that. You can't get anyone you want, but you can find anybody, somebody, to tell you the thing you want to hear in the name of Jesus. It's just called an echo chamber. If you're on the political left and you want the political left to be the side of Jesus, that's easy to find. If you're on the political right and you want the political right to be on the side of Jesus, that's easy to find. If you think this or that about this camp or that, this theology, this concept of sexuality, I promise you, you can find many people who will tell you that thing in the name of Jesus. That is not what I'm talking about. Probably people close in your life with kind of two patterns. It needs to be somebody that is willing to tell you something hard. If they've never told you something hard or something you disagree with, then they're not the person. Two of our elders were, were sitting in the, up here in the, the first service. And just, I was thinking, like, both of them would call me out. They, they would speak up. And that's good. That makes them a voice worthy of listening to. If, if someone's not willing to call you out, they're not worth listening to. On the other hand, the opposite, but just as important, if all somebody does is call you out and challenge you, they're also not worth listening to. That's not somebody to, to gauge if, it's, if you're hearing from the Spirit of God. It's got to be somebody that cares and is wise. They can interpret the situation uniquely. Because when the Spirit speaks, he often will provide this testimony of other believers, and it'll be congruent and in alignment, both with the Scriptures, because God doesn't change, and with his character, because his character doesn't change, and then with the body of believers who have proved worthy of listening to Not only, though, do we have to test the voices we hear against being just some other or worse, an impersonator of the Spirit of God. One of the other things I think we need to do is test to see if it's just our emotions or feelings or differently our ambitions and desires and pursuits that we're hearing that are kind of getting put in this spiritual blender of stuff and we think it might be the Spirit of God. And so I think what we actually have to do is spend time in self-reflection to gain awareness of what we're feeling. That's a good practice. To gain awareness of what we want, of what we desire, of what we pursue, of what we fear. Not to just put those things to death because, oh, they come from me, they must be bad. No, you have a sinful nature and you were also born in the image of God. So it could be either. What we do, though, once we have awareness of our emotions and feelings differently, our passions, our desires, is we put them before God and go, here's what I'm feeling and thinking. Another kind of tip, don't try to fix them first. If you're not comfortable, you're like, ah, you know what, I'm feeling this, but I'm not sure if it's good or not, so I'm gonna wait to bring it to God until I think it's a better feeling. Or I want to pursue this thing or that thing. And you go, I'm not sure if God's going to be happy with that, though. So I'm going to tell him I'm actually pursuing this. He already knows. Our God isn't dumb. So we just bring what we're actually pursuing and wanting and feeling to him. And you go, God, here's what I have. And he'll be like, I know. I'm glad you know now. (laughs) And then you go, is this in line with your spirit and your way and your direction or not? And he'll give you clarity. You can ask others who've earned the right to be heard in your life, whether or not they think that's in alignment with the Spirit. In his book, Discipled by Jesus, uh, Robert Galinas provides this kind of helpful, simple framework for listening to the Spirit. Three simple words, and we'll sort of close with this. Rest, surrender, wait. In order to, to hear accurately the voice of the Spirit, rest, Simple, carve out time, breathe deep, remove distractions as opposed to work endlessly, pursue endlessly until you're exhausted and have no time to hear. Rest, it's hard. Surrender, give up control. And this is important. This does not mean, like I just said, that we put to death our emotions and feelings or we put to death our ambitions Notice when the the scriptures talk about our ambitions, they don't speak about them negatively until they're selfish ambitions. God probably has given you really good, probably big ambitions. That's great. Surrender doesn't mean kill. Surrender just means put before him and give up control. So again, can you put in the work of self-reflection to have awareness of what you're wanting and feeling and bring that before God, but let go of the control piece? That's surrender. And then lastly, weight. I'm really not good at this one. In fact, I'll be really honest with you. I tried this whole rest, surrender, weight thing. It was terrible this week. So I'm hoping you're going to have some better luck and you can tell me how to do it better. I don't think it was terrible for me because it's a terrible formula. I think it's because I'm really bad probably at the rest and the wait. There's a lot of things I want to do. And it's really hard to sit still and listen, which probably means I'm hearing the voice of God quite often. And sometimes, like with my mom, I just ignore and give some dumb response. Other times I'm hearing and choosing not to listen. Think about whoever's closest to you in your life, a person you have probably the most, most quantity conversations with and most quality conversations with. could be a spouse, a child, parent, friend, whatever. If you were to ask them, hey, have I demonstrated that your voice is a worthy voice in my life? What do you think they would say? Especially if it's a spouse. It's intriguing. Probably not a simple answer either. What about for the Spirit, though? Like if we came to the Spirit and said, have I demonstrated that your voice is worthy of listening to? Would the answer be yes or no? And I don't want to put that on you and like a, now go be better. That's the opposite of what you should do. Again, the fruit of the Spirit is a simple test. And if you failed that test and you don't see the Spirit working in your life, don't go try to do those things. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's not about us. All we have to do is ask. Jesus, give me your spirit to lead. And since I'm so bad at resting and surrendering and waiting, my prayer is going to actually have to be more simplistic because I'm simplistic. Jesus, help me rest to hear your spirit and its voice, his voice. Jesus, help me surrender to listen to your spirit. Help me wait because I'm not good at it. As we, we close, I'd, in, I'd encourage you this week to go back and read Galatians 5. Again, okay, not as a test, or as a test, not as a to-do list. Maybe once, maybe you read it every day. And then just come before God and go, Jesus, I want to take you seriously for what you've said. If I'm truly better off without you because you've given the Spirit, then give me the Spirit abundantly. Lead me. Help me to listen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your power. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the generosity of your spirit to have access to your presence that we can fully trust always no matter the moment. Give us clarity of the, the voices and messaging we hear. We just thank you for the gift of your spirit. May you lead us in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Amen. So my best friend, Debbie, and we've been best friends lots of years, gave me a gift one year that I will never forget. Um, she gave me registration to a triathlon <laughs> and it was a terrible idea. No, I'm just kidding. It, uh, it wasn't a terrible idea, but she did it because she thought I would really enjoy it. And I will just tell you, I trained. I did the I did the work. I was a runner already, but um, I went to the Y and I did did a bazillion laps, a bazillion, give or take a few. Uh, And I thought I was ready. But the day of the race, she and I were going to do this together. And I throw on the wetsuit. Um, And by throw, I mean, there was a lot of tugging and um, wailing and gnashing of teeth. But I got the wetsuit on and I hop in the water and it's like three, I think it's 3,000 like slapping hands. People... Um, swimming, And I had my very first panic attack of my whole life. It, was like, it sounded like a shark feeding frenzy and I watched way too much Shark Week. So I was freaking myself out. It was a lake, there was no sharks, but I thought for sure somehow Jaws was gonna find me. And I started to freak out. And my best friend says, are you okay? And I said, I'm not okay. And she said, well, what is, what's going on? I'm like, I can't breathe. It's like, just right here, I can't breathe. And she says, well, can you swim on your back? I'm like, yes, I can backstroke. Like a boss. She said, Great, let's do that. And I'm like, Well, how am I gonna know where to go? And she says, I'll lead you, I'll tap you on the shoulder which way you need to go. So for the entirety of that race in the swimming part, she treaded water and tapped me on whichever arm I needed to like lean in that direction. It was unbelievable. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that's actually what comes to mind. Sometimes God speaks eloquently in the, in nature and sometimes he speaks eloquently through a friend who really cleans your clock and sometimes it's this gentle tap and even though there obviously is a flaw in that parallel because my my best friend didn't make me, she didn't knit me together in my mother's womb, right we have been given this incredible gift as believers of the Holy Spirit to, to, to guide us and direct us and to protect us, unbelievable and sometimes to give us little Nudge that we need, the little direction that we need. I think it's interesting, Landon. We covered a lot of scripture today, but Landon was talking about John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, which is such an incredible story. But right after we stopped reading, there's this wonderful verse that says, And she left her jar. Right there, right there at the at the watering hole, she left her jar. And I don't know what your jar is. Maybe it's self-reliance or self-importance or control or some of the major things you're facing right now that you're not trusting God with because you feel like, I I got this, God, I I got this. You and I are called by the Spirit to leave our jar and to let Him be the one to fill it up. I'm not sure I would have ever seen that part of my friend Debbie had I not stopped and said, I am at the end of me. I can't do this anymore. But because I was willing to do that she was able to be a helper. And the Holy Spirit desires to nudge us and help us and help us leave our jars wherever they are. We're entering our time of response. There is an incredible prayer team over here that would love to help you. Um, They would love to pray for you and help you get to the bottom of what your jar might be. Or maybe you're not quite sure, you don't totally understand the whole Holy Spirit thing and they'd love to be able to pray that God would give you wisdom and give it generously. We also have our time of communion, this beautiful practice again that we do at this church to signify not only Jesus dying on the cross and raising again, but also this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we do this together, we celebrate the incredible awesomeness of God in doing so. For the next couple of minutes, we'll sing a little, we'll take communion and if you need it, there's a prayer team ready to help you. Let's pray, God, thank you. Thank you for your gentle nudges. Thank you when they're not so gentle. Hmm. But I just pray, Father, that you would allow us to get to a place where we trust you so implicitly that we rejoice in leaving our jars of control, of of pride, of self-importance, of self-reliance. And I thank you for your spirit who gently leads us. Lovingly guides us, directs us, and protects us. Protects us in Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us. We hope this teaching was both encouraging and also challenging, um, helping us to just continue to grow in both trust for Jesus and. What it means to practice His way. If you'd like to partner with us, the first is prayer. I mean, we deeply value the people of God joining us in prayer as we seek His kingdom and hunger for wisdom on how to best lead in the context that Jesus has called us. Um, so if you could be praying for us, that would be massive. The second is serving. If you are looking for a church family um, to plug into, we would love to connect with you. And the third uh, is through giving. Jesus has been so generous in providing a wonderful space in downtown Prescott, Arizona um, to really be a light for the city and to love its people well. And if you call Restoration Church home again or um, just would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by going to restorationaz.org and click the giving tab in the menu options there. Thanks again, and in closing, I just want to remind us Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.